For those of you who I haven't met yet, my name is Pedro, and I'm on staff here at City Life. I'm the community life pastor, but most weeks I'm just the announcements guy, so um, I, it's my privilege to be up here to be bringing our word for the day today. Um, I love preaching. I love the challenge that it brings. I love how terrifying it is, and I love how um, serious it is. And so it's my privilege to be up here. And today we're finishing up Mark 3. And I, for some reason, it always falls that I either start a chapter or end a chapter. And I like that because I get to either open something very cool up or I get to summarize the cool things that we've been talking about lately. And so we're finishing up Mark 3. Our, our text for today is Mark 3, verses uh, 31 to 35. But before we go into there... Uh, I want us to take a second and just look around the room. If you guys could just do that for me. Look at someone else, acknowledge them, give them a little head nod, say hello. Look at someone you haven't met before and just say hi, we'll connect later. Or just, just show some love to someone else today. Uh, we're really lucky that we get to be in a place where uh, we can have really great relationships with other people who love Jesus. And our hope is that we uh, are able to bring more and more and more people into God's family. And that's what we're preaching on today. It's, the title of today's sermon is Family and, and Houses. Um, but before we go into our, our passage, let me tell you a story. I was thinking a lot this week since I'm preaching on family and houses, and I've been thinking about... Um, the love that I got as a child growing up and, the, and how my parents raised me and my two siblings. And I'm also spending, I spent a lot of time thinking about how me and my wife Anne will bring up Ryan and our future kids and the things that, um, the things that I, we want our kids to know intimately because of our relationship with Jesus and because of my relationship with Anne and because of how my parents raised me and how Anne's parents raised her. And so I was thinking, I was trying to picture when was the first time in my life that I really started to understand what love was. And so I thought, and I thought, it didn't take me very long because this memory is, I love this memory, is one day, I don't even remember how old I was, one day I went up to my parents and I told them, I even asked them about this, about this story this week and neither one of them really remembered it. Uh, my parents are here, by the way. Um, and I asked them about this story. I, one day I went up to my dad and my mom, and I was like, guys, I have a really big problem. And so I went to my parents like I was taught to do, and I was like, guys, uh, our toilet seat is just way too small. And I don't know what was going in through my head when I was an elementary school kid, but for some reason I had a big problem, and it was the size of our toilet seat. And I went to them, and I asked them for help, and like good parents, they listened to me and they did something about it. You know, I was also thinking about all of the ridiculous things that a kid asks their parents. And I don't know why this one stuck, why they said, okay, why they didn't just say, hey, deal with the toilet seat, it's not a big deal. But for some reason, my parents went out of their way, they went to the store, they bought a new toilet seat, and as I was watching them put in this toilet seat, something new started to grow in me. I had this like realization, I was like, wow, they're willing to do that for me. No one else in our family has a problem with this stupid toilet seat except for me. But somehow, my parents went through all this time to take care of just me. And so something new was starting to form in me. It was the first time that I really was like, wow, wait, this is, 
just probably really special. And so that leads us into today's passage. We're going to be, like I said, preaching on families and houses. And so let's go, through, let's go to our text. But before we do, let me just pray for us really quick so that we enter into God's word together on the same page and in the same heart. So, um, dear Lord, uh, we just thank you, Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place. Uh, I invite you here to do your work, Lord. I pray that you would uh, fill every single one of us and me, Lord, so that we can hear your word and understand it more clearly. Lord, we talk so much about your love. I pray that today we put some more flesh and bones to this love so that we can understand, Lord, and that uh, we have a new symbol of what your love means and what it's calling us into this morning. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's go into our word for today. Tony, if you could help me. Oh, this is off. There we go. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother my sis- and sister and mother. So if any of you come into this passage, you're like, Hmm, that seems like we've entered halfway through this story, then you're right. This passage isn't one that we could just dissect just from what we read, but it should be in place with this larger context. And the larger context, if we go back to, chat, to verse 13, I won't read it all for us. We've heard these in sermons in the last couple of weeks. But going back to verse 13, Jesus finally finishes gathering his 12. He gets them all together, this motley crew of guys, guys that would have never been together if not for Jesus, guys who were rejected by other uh, rabbis in the past, Guys who were rich, guys who were poor, guys who were sinners, and guys who were more normal. All these group of guys, Jesus calls them and he says, you're mine, I'm going to take you under my wing, and for the next whatever period of time, um, you're going to be in my inner circle. And then we see after that, after he gets the 12, after he commissions them, appoints them to go and preach and cast out demons, we see uh, this glimpse of his family. In in verse 21, we see Jesus' family jump into the picture. For the first time in Mark, which is very peculiar, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, For the first time in Mark's gospel, we see Jesus' family comes in. And the Bible says, starting in verse 21, that they heard about what Jesus was doing, what Jesus was saying, and they thought that he was out of his mind, and they went out, the Bible says, to seize them. It's very interesting, it's very peculiar that that happens, uh, we'll address that too. Um, I also just want to give a warning before we go. You know, one of the tools that Scripture uses widely is something called intentional ambiguity. And what that means is that there are portions of Scripture that it's ambiguous enough that it can mean this or it can mean that. It's definitely not to say that all of Scripture can say whatever you want it to, because that is not the case. That there, if you distort Scripture, that's a serious thing. But this is a place where there is this ambiguity going on. Last week, Justin preached from the perspective that these weren't his biological family. But this week, I'm going to be preaching that these are his biological family. 
It doesn't take away from Justin's sermon last week, and it doesn't mean that I think he's wrong. I just think this is uh, ambiguous, so we're going to also tackle this from the perspective of this is his family, all right? And so they go out, and they want to seize Jesus because they say, their quote is, they think he's out of his mind. A friend of mine who's a pastor, I heard him say that everyone in Israel and everyone in the neighboring countries is coming to see Jesus. Everyone around Jesus is crazy over him, and yet there are people who think that Jesus is the crazy one, that uh, he's able to do all these things, and somehow it's he's the problem and not other people's hearts. But that's not part, necessarily part of today's message. Um, and so after this, so we see this, he brings the 12, the family jumps in here, and then we have a really interesting passage that Justin preached on last week about his interaction with scribes. And then we go back into our verse today, which is about his family. The family comes back in. And this is called uh, an information sandwich. A theme or a picture jumps in, something else happens in the middle, and then it closes off again with the family. So in our case, Jesus, his family jumps in the picture, Jesus interacts with the scribes, and then his family comes back. And what the purpose of that is to say is that these, the family bookends the middle, and the middle is a part of what's happening. It's all a part of the same lesson that Jesus is teaching here, that he used the scribes, he used the opportunity with the scribes and the opportunity with his family to teach one lesson. And so uh, using this information uh, sandwich, let's go into talking about families. You see, um, families in this passage... Uh, we see that Jesus' family, the people who are the ones who are supposed to know Jesus for who he really is the most, are actually the ones that don't get it. They don't get what, who Jesus is. Here in, verse, um, in our verses for today, they go to get him. They go to get him out of there and to talk some sense into him because they thought that he had gone crazy. And yet Jesus looks around at them. His response to them was to look around and say, Oh, my, my family is outside. Oh, actually, I'm looking around the room, and I see my family everywhere in here. And a lot of us, we read that, and we say, oh, man, this is a passage where we have to lose. You know, my family is here. Of all the sermons lately that I've preached, my parents come to this one, and I'm just like, oh, gosh, I have to be faithful to the word, and I have to love my parents while they're here. And let me just say, I love you guys so much, and I never want to lose you. But one of the things that we get from this passage here is that our commitment, the commitment that Jesus is calling us to supersedes all of the relationships, supersedes even familial bonds, the bonds that we have with our own family. And that's really important and really pretty revolutionary because at Jesus' time, this was still not the case. Today, that's still not the case. This is a quote from one of the commentaries that I read, and it says, it was common in the ancient world to view other members of your faith fa as family. Along these lines, Jesus didn't offer anything radical. So here he's saying that viewing other people of your faith as family, that's normal. Even in Jesus' day, that's normal. But the radical call here is that you need to consider your fellow believer over your biological family. That's a big call even for us today. You know, Jesus is radically committed to God's will. He's radically committed to his calling that when, he opposed, when his family opposes that calling, he chooses God's, the commitment to God first. 
I think that this is pretty cool for us. I think that this is pretty insightful to us because if you ever chase after God's will, if your life, if this has happened or if it will happen in the past, if your commitment to God's will ever comes in conflict with your own family, we have a Savior who sits in heaven who says, hey, guess what? My family did that to me too. But I still chose the better thing. I still chose all of the people around me in that room who wanted God's will, and we went for it, and we changed the world. One of the things that happens all throughout Scripture, but especially in this passage here also, is that um, it subverts expectations. You know, a friend, my friend who's, who told me about the sandwich, he also said that this passage, it discomforts the comfortable, and it comforts the uncomfortable. And what, he, what we mean by that is that the people who should have known who Jesus was, the people who had their relationship with him, the people who lived their whole lives with Jesus were the ones who didn't get who he was yet. And so the comfortable in this passage and in many other part, portions of the gospel, they become uncomfortable because they actually realize that they're not as close to God as they realize. But the good news is that for the uncomfortable, this is very comforting. Now, if you are someone or if you know someone who says or thinks to themselves, you know, I'm too far away from God, you know, deep down in my heart, I know that I'm really just too dirty for Jesus to come after me. Well, actually, we find in all of Scripture and here that those are the people that Jesus goes after the hardest. Those, the people who are far away are the people who find out that they're actually much closer to Jesus than they thought. And so um, one of the ways that people have interpreted this over time is that this is a pastoral warning. This is like my heart pouring out to you guys, is that this passage does not give anyone, does not tell us that we don't have to care for our family. You know, Scripture interprets Scripture, and so whenever we interpret something, it has to match with all of Scripture. And over and over and over again, God's heart is that we need to take care of our families. You know, one of the, commandment number five out of the Ten Commandments was to take care, to honor your mother and father, right? And that's the only one of the ten that comes with a promise of long life. Um, in Mark 7, jumping ahead a little bit, Jesus criticizes the Pharisees for their ugliness because they call Corbin and steal money from their parents to give to the temple just to look holier than they are. And so, well, once again, we see that God deeply cares for us to take care of our families. And then lastly, uh, John 19, when Jesus is on the way to the cross, one of his last acts was to ask John to take care of his mom. You know, and that's just another picture of Jesus' heart for his family, for his mother. He knew he was going to die, and as the eldest son, it was his responsibility to take care of his mom. And he said, hey, John, do me a favor. Can you take care of my mom while, I'm, while, I, while I'm going to die? Um, that's really beautiful, and that's really comforting that though we gain family, we don't also lose our families that we're born into. I know that for some of us, families are a difficult subject and that it brings pain and it's not a safe place where it should always be a safe place. And for some of you, I'm not saying that you have to rush into a relationship because honoring them looks differently depending on your history. But I will say that always praying for your family and for one day, hopefully, accepting forgiveness from them is where all of us should be. It's, I think it's the bare minimum. We have to honor and take care of our families, even if it's just through prayer. 
But then this passage is also, remember our sandwich, also takes us to talking about houses, homes. And um, so I know, oh, too soon. Nope, too soon. Can you do that? Okay, so houses. Remember our sandwich, that his family started a trend, and then his interaction with the Pharisees continued that trend, and then his family once again ends that trend. And a lot of, a lot of us don't have the tools to think about life and spoiler alert, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones. Uh, we don't know how to think about life in terms of houses. And I know a lot of you guys are struggling with how Game of Thrones ended. My heart goes out to you. I'm sorry, I never watched the show, mainly just because I am a Christian and I love Jesus. But <laughs> for those of you who did watch the show, I know that you're having a hard time. That was a joke for everyone. I know that you're having a hard time. And for whatever shortcomings the show had, which was a lot of them, it also did teach you really well how to think about life in terms of houses. You know, Tony, we can go to that next slide. I Googled, okay, Tony, if you can go to that. I Googled about this show. Over the course of the show, I read here and there, but what was happening is just because it was so huge and I didn't want to watch it. My sister-in-laws, I know, will give me a hard time for this later uh, when I talk to them. but. Apparently, Game of Thrones is about these eight houses vying for control of Westeros. And so I'll read the House Lannister, Stark, Targaryen, Baratheon, Tully, Martell, Great House, which is a weird name, and House Tyrell. These houses are all vying for power, vying for control of the kingdom that they live in. And this is actually a really great way. You've received actually a good theological understanding of viewing how God has oriented this world. Uh, I will read to us here. I don't have it on the screen, I'm sorry. But I'll read to us his interaction with the scribes. If you want to follow along with, in your Bibles or your books, it's in, our, it's in chapter 3, and it starts in verse 23. It says, and he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. So we see the house reference pretty clear, but um, let me talk a little bit about this. So this is the first time that the scribes from Jerusalem go out and, and offer up their official, their complete stance on Jesus. And it's not a great one. Uh, according to them, the temple and all of Israel's religion is saying that Jesus actually doesn't belong to God. He actually is from Satan's house. That he comes here and the things that he's able to do doesn't come from God but it comes from the devil. It comes from this guy, Beelzebub, which was a demon. And in here, Jesus offers his rebuttal that seem, seemingly comes out of nowhere, like a lot of his answers do, but somehow is utterly just perfect in every way. Jesus says, hey, no, I actually can't belong to Satan because Satan would never oppose himself. Satan's kingdom can never go against itself and his house can never stand if he's fighting against himself. And what Jesus is saying is, that, no, I don't belong to Satan. I don't belong to him. I actually belong to the house of God. And I actually have come here to represent his family and his house. 
and then he gives a quick synopsis, like an overview, a summary of what all of his ministry is here to do. He says that he's actually come here to bind up the strong man, Satan, and steal from his house. So we see this picture of the house is struggling, right? It's God's house that has come here to where Satan's house reigns to bind him up and to steal people from him. And so I think that that's an awesome picture, an awesome way of thinking about, uh, a more real way of thinking about what Jesus did for here. Now, we talk a lot about, oh, we got to belong to God's family. We got to belong. We have to serve one another as family. But this is where we get it from. It's not just contrite. It's not just um, cliche, but it's actually the truth. You know, what would happen if we took our commitment to one another as family as seriously as Jesus seems to take it? I have this, um, no, not yet, sorry. My bad. Um, So here we see that, once again, Jesus' commitment to his Father's house, to the will of the Father, supersedes his relationship with the temple, his relationship with the religion, his relationship with the leaders. Uh, And this is a tough subject to preach on because we don't want to create rebel Christians all over the place. We don't want people to be following Jesus because he's a troublemaker or because he bucks all the stereotypes. But we do want to always be believing that if we're in God's will, we follow his will no matter what the cost is. We talk about counting the cost before we accept Jesus. And this is definitely a very real cost that it takes. But I thank God that it doesn't end there. I'm almost finishing up, so if worship and if you guys want to come up here, I just have a couple more points, a couple of hope points for us to remember this morning. You know, so far I've preached that Jesus said no to his biological family because of his commitment to God. But that's not where the story ends. In fact, it gets a lot more hopeful. You know, when I, a lot of times when I preach, I talk about John 14 because I just can't avoid it. I can't avoid how great this promise is to us, that Jesus says that he's leaving this world here to go to the Father's house to make a room for us. See, that triggers that house idea. Like, how wonderful is it that the picture of heaven that Jesus paints for us is that he's making us room in God's house, that we're all just going to have sleepovers at God's house, at the Father's house all the time, and that's how intimate it's going to be in heaven. You know, Mark 10 is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It's a, it's a piece of Scripture that I've aligned my whole life around. And it says, I'll read it for us. It's Mark 10, 29 to 31. It says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution in, the, in this age and the age to come. Like, How beautiful is it, how great is it that Jesus' perspective is that if we follow him and if we go after his will, we're not losing things, but we're actually gaining more things than we ever thought that we would gain. That everywhere we go for the gospel, we would be gaining more family, a hundred times more family, How wonderful is that? I think that that's so nice. That's such a beautiful picture that Jesus says to us. That, yeah, count the cost. With persecutions, you will lose, but then you'll also gain so much more than you thought you would. And we don't even have to leave our passage for hope. Verse 34 and 35 say this. 
Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, my mother. That is so nice that the creator of the universe, the one who everything was spoken into being, gathered these 12 men, one of them named Bart. How weird is that, that there would be a disciple named Bart? But that he gathered these men and he looked at them and he loved them so much and he said, if you do the Father's will, there's no difference between you and my father. Uh, one in terms of family, in terms of love. One of the cool things about Mark, you know, Mark is inspired just like the rest of the Gospels. And part of the Gospel is to tell the world who Jesus is. And in that story, there has to be an origin, right? To Mark, he was so consumed with Jesus being the Son of God that he doesn't mention anything about his birth, anything about the angels foretelling his coming, nothing about his uh, trip to Egypt with his parents. But his origin story comes in the first chapter, in verse 9, when it talks about his baptism. That at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and that the Father's voice audibly rang out for everyone to hear, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. To Mark, it's all about family. It's all about belonging to the right houses. And I hope that we get that a little bit more today than we did. For your life, if you don't yet belong to Jesus' family, if you don't yet live in God's house, then this is a great day for that decision. I pray that you would make that prayerful concision. The Lord's table is open, and if you are a part of the family, please, I hope that this comforts you a little bit to the point where you reassess how your heart really is towards Jesus, that you're not too callous with him, that being a part of his family isn't just a boring old thing for you anymore but that this is actually vitally important to your spiritual life. And then also for the life of our church, you know. Jersey City would be unsafe if we really lived this way. If we lived it, looking around, please, I asked you to look around at, in the beginning. Please, can you look around again? These are your brothers and your sisters and your mothers. This, we have enough here to do some radical things for Jesus. This is the way that he's provided for us to do it. It's through one another. You know, City Life, we want to be a family. We want our MCs to flourish, not because it's our programming, but because they are our families living out with one another. So I just pray that you guys leave here understanding that a little bit more today, that God's heart for you is family, that you are part of his family, and that in turn he gives you all the family that you'll ever need. And so let's worship a little bit more. Let's accept this truth. Let's accept God's goodness that he wants nothing but family and love for us. And then uh, I'll come back and we can close this up.